Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Uh, today's episode is about two documentaries, uh, Three Identical Strangers and Won't You Be My Neighbor. And uh, I'm joined by my friend Graham Hall. Graham, how's it going? Hey, Josh. Great to be here. And um, I know that people tend to hear a documentary review and think, oh, man, who thinks this? But these are not two ordinary documentaries, Josh. No, I think that's fair. And I'd say it's especially the case with Three Identical Strangers, which we're going to talk about first, because as people know, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's probably the more highly publicized of the two. It's a more traditional thing, looking at the life of Fred Rogers, who's a pretty iconic figure. So I think that makes it more than the average documentary. But Three Identical Strangers definitely felt unlike any kind of documentary I'd ever seen before. And I think some of the best documentaries are about th- like things that you don't know a ton about. But this was something I literally knew, like, nothing about like something like uh rbg that came out earlier this year i don't know if you saw that and like i knew something about ruth gator ruth bader ginsburg but it taught me a lot that i didn't know which was part of why i loved it so much but three identical strangers i saw the trailer and it was like oh this is cool like it's about three identical trains i'm in and then it starts to like take a little bit of a darker turn and i don't i don't but i didn't remember what i saw the first time i saw the trailer so i just like tried to avoid everything because i'm like Three identical twins separated at birth, like that's a pretty cool starting point. I don't need to know anything else if it's going to be something crazy. So I, I don't know. What did you know going into this, and what was your initial reaction? Because I, I feel like you had a pretty strong reaction to this movie for some personal reasons too. Yeah, I guess this is where we give the quick disclaimer that uh, anything discussed about Three Identical Strangers from this point forward is probably going to be considered a spoiler. Oh, thank you um, for remembering to do that because I, I, no. I told Graham before we started we were going to do this because I think it's best to go into this knowing nothing. And I exactly. told Graham we were going to do that, caveat. and I, then I almost started talking about it. So I, I, you, you'll, you'll stipulate that you liked it and think it's yeah. a worthwhile thing to go to, and I'll do the same. But like this movie takes a lot of weird turns, and I think it's really cool to go in not knowing anything. Yeah, and I enjoyed it that much for that reason, and that's why I implore people to go in kind of blind. And unlike you, Josh, I had not seen the trailer ahead of time. I had seen the buzz around the movie, for those who don't know. It won Best Documentary at Sundance Mm -hmm. Film Festival this year, which I believe is in January. So there was a lot of hype coming up around it, and it got a little little bit more momentum until it all culminated June 29th, where it got a wide release, and it's getting a lot of strong reactions from people around um, the United States, which I think it should, uh, especially. And the reason it's a lot different than the Mr. Rogers aspect is Mr. Rogers is already a very notable name. And this is three people who were um, a quick news story in the gauntlet of news where everything is digested and spit back out and sometimes forgotten about within, you know, 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And this is a pretty big story back then. But you know, they, it starts with the, one of the guys saying, even if I were to tell you the story, you wouldn't believe me. But it was huge. It was on it was a Newsday. It was on the New York Post. It was everywhere for a long time. They were doing talk shows. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, I, I am a twin. I have a fraternal uh, sister. Um, she is two minutes older than me. Um, like the guys in the documentary, we have a slightly complicated relationship as I think everyone who is raised very closely together, the same age, uh, has a relate, uh, is experiences, I guess is the way to say it. Uh, and that's what a lot of the documentary delves into three identical triplets who weren't raised together, meet each other at the age of 19, 20. So 
past their really formative years. I know the mind is still expanding and growing, but these guys never had the experience of growing up together, although they were all raised with older sisters, which the documentary gets into for a specific reason. Um, it talks a lot about how there's a lot of benefits in growing up with your twin or with your sibling that you're naturally connected to. And that is what the entire documentary is about. It's a really, um, a microcosm of the argument of nature versus nurture. And that is what I totally did not expect going in. It took this brief, you know, blip on the radar in the 1960s, something that went from the 1960s to the 1980s. And it kind of was a monumental piece in the argument for nature versus nurture. And that, deeply resonated with me to the fact that I was crying, thinking about, you know, the way you're raised and what effect it can have on you from that aspect. And I know that a lot of people in the theater reacted strongly to that as well and thinking about their childhoods and what it can provoke in someone. And I I wonder if that's kind of the reaction you had. And and if so, why did you, and or what, what were you thinking about as you watched that everything play out on screen? Well, yeah, you, you called me afterward, didn't you? Uh, I, think, I think I messaged you. Oh no! I, well, okay, so like, I might have called. Yeah, I did call you, and you didn't answer. Yeah, I was like actually like and I messaged you in the elevator on my way to like go work out. Like I think at the exact moment you call me, but I mean I figured that you had a pretty strong reaction to it because of that. Like if you were, I don't know if you were calling me just ta- to say you want to do it I on the podcast talking, or you want to come talk about it or what. I, I so I had invited my mom to see it because yeah. I figured she would have a strong reaction. But anyone who knows my mom knows that she can handle. She watches all these crime shows and. She watches like the first 48 and exploitative stuff too, like cops. But the one thing she can't deal with is any harm coming to tr- children, even if it is dramatized. That just is too visceral and too uh, emotional for her to deal with to the point that she'll be in tears. And that's why she also had a crazy reaction. We saw the Mr. Rogers documentary together as All well, right. which I'll kind of get into because um, she watched it a lot. So I imagine as someone that gave birth to twins, she probably felt she yeah. had a very strong reaction. Yeah. And but, but she didn't want to see three identical strangers. Oh. I asked her if she wanted to see it. And she said she thought that you know, her line was, this is too much like Nazi experimentation. And which, which is even a line that is said by, uh, Bobby in the film. Um, so you, so had, so had you guys read about the story, even if you hadn't watched she the hadn't trailer read about it at all, so how did she, how did she know to even say that? So she only read the quick description on Wikipedia. Okay. So that, that probably at least told her that seven. it was okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So I and didn't, she, I, no, I was just gonna say. So I didn't even know that. Like I, like I said, I kind of knew there was something else was gonna happen, but I had no idea that was it. I, it's just the trailer had implied that, and then I stopped watching yeah. the trailer. So, but as I'm watching, and as I'm as I'm watching the movie, and like we're kind of getting to know the siblings, I noticed well, we're only seeing two of them talk, and I yep. was like, oh, I bet something bad happened to the third, and then it gives you like this waiting for the other shoe to drop feeling throughout the most of the fun part of the documentary before you actually get to the serious stuff. And so, like, I was really into the story and just how crazy it was from the outset. But like, I was kind of bracing myself for something really crazy to happen once I realized one of those twin, one of those triplets probably isn't around anymore. And so I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I and and I, I did not see it going into that nature. Versus, well, I guess I they kind of got at that 
a little bit when you're seeing like, oh, these guys are kind of raised by different families and you could have maybe gotten to that point on your own thinking about, oh, we're talking to whichever ones of the parents are around and we'll get to know their personalities. And then I was like, oh, shit, when it's like, no, this was actually like someone's nature versus nurture experiment from the very beginning. And then it's like, oh, no, it goes even deeper than that. It's maybe about it's a whole other thing about mental illness, too. And I was just kind of blown away that like. Like like the thing you said he says at the beginning, like if I were to tell you this is real, you wouldn't believe me or whatever that quote is. It's like that seems like a corny way to start off a documentary, but it was it's really true. And I just found myself like really taken aback by like how far reaching this story was because I guess I was waiting for another shoe to drop, but I wasn't expecting like three shoes to drop. And I think that's the part that was just so remarkable. Yeah, my favorite documentaries are ones that you can actually see discoveries made on camera, like stuff in uh, making a murderer and evil genius that series if anyone has seen that recently where the documentary the filmmakers actually get a piece of evidence that wasn't known before and that's why the ending was so powerful to me in a way about the research assistant where you like you said they find out the multi-layers of the study um, seeing that play out on film them discovering that finding this research assistant that no one knew before having those answers for these mid fifties guys was very powerful to watch. And the entire tackling of the suicide aspect and the mental health aspect was extremely difficult, difficult obviously to watch. And I don't know how anyone could watch that and not have a visceral emotional reaction. Um, but it probably took me about 20 minutes to realize, like you said, that something had happened to the third brother and it, it probably took me about 20 minutes because I was naturally thinking, oh, man, I need to see Eddie. I need to see Ed- Eddie. What did he look like? Because, you know, the whole beginning of the movie, it's a pretty obvious juxtaposition. It's, it's all about, oh, you look just like Eddie. You look just like Eddie in the beginning. But then you never see the real Eddie, mm-hmm. the older Eddie. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was thinking, OK, so something must have happened. And that's I get that that's, you know, a good bit of foreshadowing. But what else are they supposed to do? I mean, yeah, I guess if. if I don't know if that'd fall into my lone critiques category because there are so few things I would change about the documentary. And a documentary compared to a film is so much tougher to evaluate because when everything's laid out to you, it's really a lot tougher to think about what you would change if you're watching a documentary because you don't know the entire process and what they had to leave on the cutting room floor and stuff like that. But I wish that, yeah, I, I wish that it had taken me a lot longer to know what had happened to Eddie or to wonder anything about Eddie. But like you said, you're, it's, it's so about them reflecting on it that once his presence or his absence is made known that it's hard to, you know, stop thinking about, because I kept looking at the older guys and being like, okay, I can kind of see, you know, how he looks like that. And now I can kind of see, Oh, that's how Bobby looked. And, but not having Eddie in the picture is you're to- kind of wondering that the entire time. And, and that did kind of take away some time of, when I was wondering about everything else was I was thinking about what happened to Eddie, what happened to Eddie. Right. I guess there's a way they could just, they could have just like gotten that right out there from the beginning, but I could see why they wanted to build it, build towards that the same way they did. And I guess that's just an inevitable thing. Like people's minds are going to wonder if that's the way in which you're going to tell your story. And I could see how you would have been thinking about that. I just kind of like assumed something bad was going to happen and we were just going to have to, we were going to find out at some point. So I wasn't, I guess I, I didn't know what it was, but I was able to, I think, put that aside and just kind of know that was coming and try like, and just, I had it in the back of my mind, but I don't necessarily think it took away from 
me taking in what was in front of me at that given moment. And um, I don't know. It, it does have to tackle a lot. I mean, obviously, the first half of the movie is more focused just on the brothers, and then it n- naturally branches out once they start doing their own investigation and everything like that. And the movie does go back, or, or their parents start doing their own investigation, I guess, which I thought was pretty interesting that, like, these parents just came together and, like, they they all recognize that, like, well, hey, the kids are having a good time. Like, this is kind of messed up, and we want to figure out what happened. And I they, – they have the scene – one thing I didn't know if I really needed in the movie was, the, the, like, the reenactment stuff. Like, I was wondering your thoughts on a, that as well. It's a little hokey, I guess, uh, and I don't know if you necessarily need that, but I guess I could – at the same time, like, I – I guess it does maybe help you visualize what certain moments would look like, but once you're like having like actors reenact stuff in a documentary, it doesn't feel, I don't know, it doesn't feel all that nat- natural or necessary when you have the real people there already anyway narrating it for you. And I like I, I don't know if I need to see like people toasting to them like getting Definitely. away with it, quote unquote, Definitely. or whatever like they did. Like that. Although I did that did help scenes like that that were dramatic helped me realize the drama of the situation more than if it was just you know eddie's dad being like if i walked back in and it looked like they were toasting if they got away with something which i you know because because you are relying on and i'm not trying to be mean obviously at all but you are relying on 75 to 90 year old people to often tell most of the drama or the brothers right right and Often, you know, to keep that suspense there and the unveiling of a mystery aspect, you do kind of need, you know, I guess a little bit of a reenactment. And there's reenactments in every single documentary these days. But at the same time, I was... I, I was kind of thinking they were a little bit corny. Well, yeah, but I think it. I think it, what is interesting about it is that it ultimately ties into maybe my only other real critique of the entire thing is that, like... You see that, like, they're to- quote unquote toasting after that confrontation because they're like, "Hey, we got away with it." And I thought it was just more of a, "Hey, we got away with it" because, like, um, if they're if they think they're satisfied with what we told them, and we might be susceptible to like a lawsuit for just like negligent infliction of emotional distress, if nothing else, just because like we separated these triplets, and that was that. As far as I knew at that point in the movie, maybe that's the extent of it, and everything else is just going to be about the three brothers and what they went through after that point, and. You find out that like, oh no, it is something like way more far reaching than that. And what's and then I think what I mean not and I guess the filmmakers are maybe somewhat limited in what they can show me in this regard, but I almost wanted to like because they tracked down they obviously worked really hard to track down the people they did track down, the the really like the ninety year old research assistant living in like California and like the other like prof- the other researcher that was living in Ann Arbor or something like that, like they found the two people still associated with the study that were still around, and that they found that other guy that had like interviewed uh, what's his face New New Bowser or uh, what, what New was Bauer. New Bauer. New Bauer. They, yeah. they found the the one guy that's like life was being a twin researcher in Austin who interviewed him. So they obviously tracked down everyone they could have. But I wanted to be like, man, like what more could what what happened to that adoption agency? And like, it's closed. I, I, I kind of figured that yeah. out, and like, yeah. but then how they didn't even like, and I guess the, it was like we got to finish this movie at some point. But I wanted to be like, man, like, isn't there a way to like shine a little bit more of a light on this Jewish board of family and children's services, this like shadowy organization that like you can't, they can't get the right person on the phone for to like call up Yale on behalf of them? Like it was like, yeah. I mean, like I, I get what you're saying. How it's like it's kind of cool that like when documentaries like stumble upon stuff while they're in the process of doing it, and then they're able to follow up on it. And I was just like. 
I left it almost wanting a sequel, which is a very weird thing to say about a documentary. But it's like, man, like once this thing gets more publicized, like I want to see some people's feet held to the fire. I was kind of like angry on behalf of these people that were involved in this study. Sure. You know? Well, that's why I think I wonder when that title screen was added in, because at the end of the movie, it says after the screening of the movie, which I was wondering if it was at Sundance yeah, like or maybe if that after was Sundance, in- it got some more attention, I guess. Well, you saw that that final screen says that they were finally given the 10,000 pages of the study. Are they, okay, I can't remember if that's what they said. The people, the people involved yeah. in the study, like they were able, like the two brothers were first given it, which is so, interesting. I, maybe there's some I, stories I out there on the internet, and I just haven't read it, or maybe they haven't shared it, or maybe I don't well, know. Well, that's the other that's the other aspect I was going to ask you about. You said you didn't like the dramatic retellings, or didn't feel strongly about them. Yeah. The new news that came out of the movie is that or out of the documentaries that they are now making a feature length film based around the events of the movie, oh. which uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't feel great about it either because I think that this did a good enough job covering all the details. And we saw the dramatic reenactments. We know how it ends that I, and I, I, it's already got so much positive reception around the country and is getting a lot of steam and build up. And I don't see what more they could add to the layer without kind of cheapening the story. I guess the, okay. those two, um, those two, uh, the two sisters that they found that were part of the study that were also featured in the movie. Some, I guess they wrote a book in 2007, like a memoir. And yeah. the, the Wikipedia page for that memoir says of the 13 children in the study, three sets of twins and one set of triplets have discovered one another. One or two sets of twins may still not know that they have an identical twin. So, I mean, I, I could see how they could make a movie a little different if they I, – I would hope they wouldn't try and do exactly the same as the documentary and they would maybe at least have some more research under their belt at that point that would allow them to show some stuff of the study that they were – the filmmakers of the documentary were not privy to and maybe just fo- maybe go a little more broad on the other children involved just to di- dif- distinguish it. But I, th- I I agree that like this was so good that it's like I don't know if it's gonna really give me anything that I feel I'm really missing. I I, c- I could probably get everything I need that I felt didn't feel like I got from the doc through a full a few follow up news stories or written articles, and that would probably cover everything else I feel like I didn't get. Uh, and it's funny that I didn't because I didn't know that before you just told me that, but I did know that about the other two documentaries that have been a big deal this year. Like the other one we're going to talk about on this podcast and um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, but RBG. Like there's going to be a Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie later this year where Felicity Jones is playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and there's going to be a, uh, um, a Fred Rogers p- movie coming out probably next year with Tom Hanks playing fred rogers called you are my friend it's like man it's like all these great documentaries Come on, tom hanks already played walt disney well i mean how can he play <laughs> fred rogers and walt disney fred rogers is actually like probably that. a much better person than walt disney uh so oh, they're definitely. so they're, okay they're uh maybe they are they're, they're pretty different but they're both iconic in their own right but it's like man it's like at least put some space between it like maybe tom hanks is maybe t- Tom Hanks will be too old to play Fred Rogers by the time it's been a while. But it's like I just saw like it's like when I see a really great documentary that tells the really covers everything super well. It's like the last thing I need within a less than 12 months after that is a movie that tries to do the same thing. You know, it's just I I definitely don't know if that's necessary. But like especially because like I like I said, I really like this documentary and I. I don't know. I think I think one of the things that maybe struck me about it, like you said, the the part about you being a twin, and I think the the part that struck me more personally is just, I'm I'm a Jewish person that comes from a very closely knit family, and like Jewish culture is known for being like super like family 
tight-knit families and that really stay together. I, I, it was news to me that, like, there even was an adoption agency that, like, specialized in Jewish kids because I never even realized that, like, that many Jewish kids got put up for adoption that, that would there would be a thing that specialized in that. So then to, like, see that, like, me, like I mean, I have, like, a, a – pretty big family that like i see a lot of different extended family whenever i'm visiting like i was just home for a family reunion a few weeks ago where i'm seeing all these second cousins because i'm close to a lot of my second cousins and when i visit my other side of my family in philadelphia i'm seeing like great aunts and uncles and second cousins it's not just like direct family that i'm close to it's just it's a very jewish thing to like have a family that is like that close and to like see this one family that was kind of ripped apart by something that was like totally out of their control it's uh, that that was probably the most moving part for me and just informative in that way. But like on top of that, to then like think about the nature versus nurture thing and think about these people like weirdly playing God because they're like scientists that think they're important enough that like they should have to answer those questions and they really seem like they didn't even consider the consequences. Uh, that That's the pretty horrifying thing to me. And it's just like sad too. It left a sad impression on me. And I, I, I mean, I'm curious what you thought about that. Just like actually seeing these scientists get interviewed and, or, and see their, whether one of them was for the like we said one of them was for the movie one of them was an old on an old tape but like it seems like a shocking lack of remorse yeah and obviously we can talk in circles about the morality aspect and um the politics obviously for sure that came into play back then in the 1960s and uh the regard for human life and how that concept has changed over 50 years but yeah you talk about the shocking lack of remorse around among the research assistants and that woman who's the secretary. And I don't know if you've seen wild, wild country, no, I haven't. um, the, the documentary series on Netflix, you definitely should see it. But the secretary, the woman is a lot like the woman in that documentary as well. And all those people are pretty much the same and that they all kind of deny culpability because they were being like, Oh, I was just doing a job or I was just doing what I was supposed to do. Well, yeah, they were, you know, had multiple opportunities like the research analyst was saying, and they had a chance to say, I know you're a twin. They live. I saw him last week. And, you know, you have a chance to do all these things. And you look back at history. There's so many people, um, especially, you know, like stuff like the Nuremberg trials and stuff like that, where, you know, just because you say, oh, I was doing a job, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, this is a different degree of severity and stuff. But just because you are employed to do something or you're doing something doesn't mean you can abandon morality and you know, I play God, yeah. like you said, in the same way. And now I'm forgetting. I mean, There's one thing that old woman said that I'm now I'm not as forgetting because it's been it's been a week since I saw the movie. But like it was like she was like on one hand, like they we separated them and maybe they would have like growing up together. But then she like had some like equal point she made in the other direction where she's like I can't remember exactly what it was, but she just like did not seem that sad like she was just like yeah, yeah there's one, one, one of them seems this sad. Argument, the other hand there's this and it, it was like she still wasn't like even with the time and perspective like she w- didn't really even see what was wrong with it yeah. it was very bizarre and the guy yeah and and her and the other guy they both showed an amazing amount of you know deniability is where they could you know deny themselves into existence and to not hold any like emotional weight on the subject and feel like oh i'm just another cog in the machine i'm not actually causing the destruction um of the, of this family um which was very interesting as well and i know we could get into the nature versus nurture thing but um i do recommend everyone absolutely see it i think that's my overall takeaway uh documentaries are best when they either show some aspect of society that is having has an effect on people that i don't think about or they shed light to some huge subject and i thought that this did all those things and talked a lot about human nature and the psychology aspect by 
showing an actual example rather than telling us. And I would absolutely give it a 10 out of 10. I think it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I've seen hundreds of documentaries and watch all those Netflix series. And this is probably one of the most moving and life affirming things I've seen in a way. Well, I think it, I think the thing that's like most impressive is that it's able to, it's able to really feel like it gives you like it's a whole exploration of a topic as big as nature versus nurture without like having a narrator talking over the whole movie. Like a lot of documentaries would rely on a narrator to like spell some stuff, stuff out for you, but it's able to get enough from all of its interviews to like really feel like you have a fully formed analysis of that debate. And I don't like, I don't know if it's something you had thought a lot, a lot before. I feel like I'd had a couple things in high school where we actually had to talk about that, but I, I really avoided taking pretty much any science class in college. I never really had to do a whole lot of thinking about anything, any kind of behavioral psychology or, or stuff like that. And so if you would just like ask me like, Hey, where do you stand on nature versus nurture before I walked in this documentary? I would have been like, uh, I don't know. Maybe nurture is more important. Cause like, I had really good parents and I think I turned out okay. Like I would not have like put any more thought into it than that. Like I would, I probably wouldn't even thought of the mental illness possibility side of it on my own. So it's like, you see this movie and it's like, it's interesting because at first it's like, you're, Oh, all these guys are exactly the same. I guess really like, and they have all these similar interests and like, I guess nature really is pretty overwhelming, but then, and I guess because you don't really get to hear Eddie talk, it doesn't become his parent, and the movie does kind of have to explain things to you, I guess, a little bit at the end with how his dad was specifically different from the others. And that might have been why, like, hey, all these guys had mental illness, but, like, that doesn't mean it's something that can't be managed if you have the proper support system. And I think that is one of the more important things to take from the movie, not just that, like, hey, nurture is important, but, like, mental illness is something that yeah it's it, it can be passed down in a hereditary <clears throat> way but like if you like that was the life-affirming aspect to yeah you like you just got to have people that are there for you and i think that's like the sure. most important takeaway you know sure and i know that i don't want to say like i'm never going to say like oh man you know if you think enough positive thoughts and you have enough positivity you can cure depression because it's not that yeah you know black and white or anything like that to that degree obviously josh and i aren't making these huge statements on mental illness but it shows that some things are not definitive and some things in your life are manageable rather than a death sentence. And it all is about how you handle it and who's around you and how you're raised and how you are brought up to handle those things emotionally and mentally. And it did say a lot to me. And, and like, you know, that's obviously that parenting style that Eddie was raised with was much more common in the day. And I know, you know, many, many people, our parents mostly, were probably raised and reared in that disciplinarian style by you know fathers deep in the church or in your case you know i I don't know what the you know the tradition is in rearing practices but you know my parents coming from an irish back background and a czechoslovakian background it was stern fathers where that was the common style in the you know 1920s to 1960s so um obviously and I don't, I don't know if you know this, but some people out there know this. When I was at the University of Florida for the first two years, I was not a journalism major. I was a psychology major. I thought I wanted to be right. a child psychologist. Yeah. Um, and then I took a semester off, got into journalism. The rest is history in the making, baby. <laughs> and But I really was interested in child psychology and, you know, developmental and all the theories. And when they said the thing about Dr. Peter Neubauer and how he knew Freud's daughter and – um, how that influenced him and biased a lot of his thoughts about family dynamics. Um, it, a lot of the stuff clicked and made sense. And 
that is where the kind of the underlying documentaries, you, you know, you think that we're just grouping these two documentaries together just because they're documentaries. But on the other hand of child psychology during the same time period is the Mr. Rogers documentary took place in the 1960s, 1967, when a lot of that stuff would have been on TV. I don't know if you're ready to switch there, Josh, if you have any overall thoughts about, well, yeah. um, I don't know, strangers, but I do think this is a good time to train, you know, to switch into that because there are two different, you know, you think of child psychology and you think, oh, that's, you know, a blanket statement. There are many different tactics towards that. And Mr. Rogers approach kind of shows a right. different part of society. And the last way. thing I'll say is, cause I don't have much to add on three identical strangers because like, it's the only thing I would add is I, we don't know. Uh, we t- you, you just talked all this stuff about child psychology and how, like, the the parenting styles and everything like that. And the one thing we don't know, and maybe we will know if those records become more widely known, if these guys that did get a hold of them decide to share more of their findings or whatnot. I would hope that they incorporate that into any kind of feature film they make out of this. Just to, like I said, I want a new feature film to have something different, but. We don't know. Like they said that, yeah, I, I like they might have exhibited behavior as they were babies that showed that there might have been some kind of separation anxiety. But like the best answer we were going to know for that stuff and the effect that that separation might have had is is that study, which as of now is n- it won't be totally released until 2066, I guess, unless the brothers and anyone else that gets a hold of it, like, hey, we're going to reveal this stuff. So I think it'll be interesting to like see if that stuff in the wake of this movie, if it gains some popularity. As of now, I only know one other person besides you that saw it. Um, I do hope it becomes like a bigger talking point and people do talk about this kind of thing and obviously talk about how horrific it is is what happened, but also we can gain some more insight into like the effect that like not being next to a twin that you did have or a triplet that you did have as a young person, like as a, or as a toddler and a little older than that, could have that effect going forward because they talked about what it ha- what it might have been for them as an adult. Like they didn't get to work out their problems and figure out how to interact at a younger age. But there's probably more to it than that, and we just don't know it at this point. And um, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that's the last thing I had to say on that before we moved on. But uh, I think I do think it is pretty interesting. Like you said, that um, Mr. Rogers like first came to the forefront of American households, like right around these time, these kids would have been growing up. So I do think there is some kind of interesting parallel to be drawn there. I don't know um, if you had anything to add specifically on that point about how that might relate to three identical strangers. But I, I am curious, like if you have any thoughts on that and what your relationship was with Mr. Rogers growing up, because I never watched a second of it. Sure. Yeah. The boys in three identical strangers were all born in 1961. Yeah. Um, Around 1967, Mr. Rogers um, is helping lead the movement. Mr. Rogers had gone to uh, Presbyterian school. He was supposed to become a pastor in the Presbyterian church. Um, there's rumors about him being a Navy SEAL and killing 20 people. That's total fabrication. Oh, okay. I never heard he's, that. <laughs> he's 100%. There's, there's all this crazy stuff about there. People have longed to discredit who Mr. Rogers is because – he does have this very, you know, oh, hard to believe that any man could be this upfront and loving <laughs> type of vibe about him without there being some dark thing that people, you know, especially in this day and age, people are finding out that, you know, all the people they grew up watching on TV aren't really who they um, meant to be. So part of this documentary does serve as a service to show there's some good exactly out there. Who who they, yeah, there was some good out there and this guy was flying in the face of it. And I know that especially we could, we could probably talk an hour on this entire subject and get into the whole Bill Cosby stuff like that and all that stuff about 
the entire generation. But Mr. Rogers, by all accounts, was exactly who he was on TV, a guy who stood up for, for children, first and foremost, and for the moral fabric of society and didn't want uh, kids to be devalued from an early age and not given the same opportunities to grow through the rising mediums as everyone else. And uh, he tackled a lot of issues like the war and uh, gay rights and divorce and death and the afterlife and religion on his program in a way that kids could understand. And um, he did it at a very level when it was hard to go against the grain in such a way. And I think people, not only does this documentary celebrate him, but it's showing people uh, it's showing people that sometimes, you know, an apple isn't just an apple. Mm-hmm. That Mr. Rogers' show was a metaphor for kids and was very formative for a lot of people in their viewpoints in a way that gave people a lot of a basis. If something wasn't great at home, like we kind of saw with Eddie's family, Mr. Rogers gave kids an alternative viewpoint in a reassuring voice in a way. And I watched it when I was very, very young, obviously not when it was a lot of it was reruns and that's what uh, the documentary covered as well that you saw. Um, but it still was timeless in the way that it related 45, 50 years later. And there has yet to be a child's program that has reached the amount of depth that Mr. Rogers neighborhood reached 50 years ago. Do you have, do you have a younger sibling aside from you? No, we're just twins. I couldn't remember if you had any other siblings. Cause I mean, my, my only brother, my only siblings three years younger than me. So I haven't had a lot of, a, a lot of reason to watch young children's programming. I, I have a six year old first cousin and I, but like I, I've been at school the entire time she's been alive or been an adult living on the other side of the state. So I, I just haven't had a lot of occasion to watch like children's programming and, one of the more interesting things I learned about Mr. Rogers in this, because I would say the parts of the documentary that don't work as much for me is just like watching him play with puppets. I guess it was kind of interesting that like he turned those those characters were inspired by his uh, some of the real life family members, but like at a certain point, I was just like, okay, I I find I'm finding everything else about this guy way more interesting than watching him play with puppets as someone that doesn't have that same level of nostalgia for the show, but. Like I did like how he was just like I'm just going to talk to kids like human beings because I know there I've heard people talk about children's programming today even if I don't watch it and I guess maybe there is some good educational program out there but a lot of it I know is fairly dumbed down and it seemed like he really as nice of a guy as he was he did have a, some kind of level of disdain for a lot of other programming that he felt like didn't treat kid treat kids like they were people and probably just like was like oh we'll put maybe put some loud noises in front of them and entertain them and that'll be it. So I found his opinions on those other programming pretty interesting. And like you said, just like the fact that like, yeah, this guy probably is as awesome as he sounds. Like the one not nice, the one not good thing that you ever like see of him or story about him in the whole movie is like when he tells the gay cast member, like you can't do that anymore. And then he realizes he was wrong, like, uh, like, like within a year. And that's like it. Aside from that, this guy has like been like, yes, just about as nice and like, compassionate as anyone could have imagined it it is kind of funny like you said like this movie just happened to come at a time where like we're finding out a lot of bad things about public figures that we had previously thought were good and it's like no this guy was that good yeah and i do think it was a a serious attempt to dispel any of those misconceptions about their about him because i implore anyone to think about all the or go out and look at all the conspiracies out there about him that he was a gay man himself uh, that he killed people as a Navy SEAL, stuff like that that is absolutely crazy. But you find out that Mr. Rogers was just a, ki- a guy who 
at his heart just deeply cared about the future of children. And obviously I think that's extremely uh, moral. And you obviously brought up the point about him telling the police officer, no, you can't do that anymore. Um, when he found out that he was a closeted gay man, but it, it did show that also, yeah, Mr. Rogers realized that he, you know, a guy raised in the Presbytery who, um, the Presbyterian church only two years ago, um, said that it was okay for pastors to ordain gay weddings. Um, so you're talking about 40 years before that, Mr. Rogers, you know, was obviously raised a different way. And his father was a, a minister and, um, he went with his first reaction and saying, you can't do that anymore, especially like it can't be public, but, and especially during a time when you have to think this was before the AIDS crisis, there was still this, you know, misconception and this, um, I guess fear is even a good word where people, you know, feared the unknown where they didn't understand it. And, you know, advertisers were afraid of people thinking that they endorsed that. And Mr. Rogers knew that embracing, you know, the police officer's homosexuality could come at a risk of losing the programming and losing his entire message to kids. So I understand that aspect of the, um, well, yeah, and issue. What, what I think is really impressive about it, though, is that, like, like you said, how how long ago it was, and that, like, still today, like, we have people that are just as backwards on their views on homosexuality as they were then. And while it's not like the country is like anywhere like, near where it should be on race race relations, it's like no one's out here trying to argue for separate water fountains or anything like that. But you could still yeah. be, you could still be fired in like the majority of states just for being gay. So the fact that like yeah. he a a Christian person, a, like a minister, no less, where like there's still a lot of different churchgoer like churches that pr- are pretty backwards on this issue, was was ahead of it. Like before, like before people even really talked about homosexuality. We're also, you know? we're also forgetting that this was also the height of the civil rights movement. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, the, the swing the swing pool stuff was really cool. Like I didn't I didn't know about him doing that kind of stuff until yeah. I saw that documentary. We, we talked also, and I brought up Walt Disney on the other end of the spectrum, but it was 1967 when, you know, which is the height of the civil rights movement when, when Mr. Rogers' program was coming about. Um, Walt Disney on the other end, who was seen as, you know, is now seen as this holy figure, kind of equal to Mr. Rogers in terms of regard. Walt Disney was making, when he had a chance to, you know, make a powerful message of unity you know, for people in this day and age. You know what he was doing as his final film that he worked on? What's that? In 1964, he did Mary Poppins. Huh. But in 1967, he adapted Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book. Huh. An, an imperialist, you know, white imperialist, American imperialism, which now, if you look up Walt Disney, he was known for his strong thoughts on American, American imperialism. Hmm. Um he had a chance to adapt anything else that talked about unity, but he adapted something that many people today in today's day and age believe had a lot of racial overtones. So you look at those two different roads of of media and culture in 1967 and what was going on. It was actually the last film that Walt Disney worked on before he died a year, actually a year before that, 1966. It was the last film, the 19th film he worked on. But Mr. Rogers was doing something that, even the big corporations were afraid to speak out upon. Like you had Walt Disney who was doing something that 
was seen as pretty controversial, but was accepted as, oh, this nice children's story, but had these thinly veiled overtones and these caricatures. Mr. Rogers in the first week of the programming was tackling the Vietnam War and speaking out against it. So we really we we kind of undervalue is the what I'm getting at is we undervalue how tough it was to speak out in this age of McCarthyism, the civil rights movement. We're speaking out against anything that went against the grain of, you know, white nationalism and American nationalism, all that stuff. Speaking out on the other end of the of the street, so to speak was seen as incredibly bold, and Mr. Rogers, you know, frankly, just didn't give a damn. And, and like that is gained, one of the things I really appreciated. And he gained, like, a really large following doing that. And, like, I don't—it didn't seem like—if there was a big, like, opposition to him, it didn't seem like it was that present when his show, like, first really got big. Uh, there's a yeah. thing where he does the first 9-11 show, and at that point, I don't know if it was because the police officer had, like— become more openly out as gay but he basically had like the westboro baptist church like out there protesting him or no at his funeral they were like protesting his yep. funeral and stuff like that which and like he was did, out by that time yeah yeah so it's it, well yeah but i i didn't know if it was more if he had done i didn't know if he'd spoken out in other ways so that's how they knew he was tolerant of gay people or it was just because of that but it was like it seemed like he almost like had more of an opposition then than he did at the heyday of the civil rights movement it was just like he was able to tackle these complex subjects but be kind of civil doing it which i think is it made this movie weirdly timely for the current moment because I, they might they might have conceived of this documentary before like a lot of I, even before donald trump became president i'm assuming but it's like all this political controversy we've had it's like turned into this weird referendum on decency where it's like you have like these very conservative people that are like really mad when people call them out for like or i i don't even want to say conservative like there's people advocating for like these really terrible policies and then sure, when people call sure. them out on it they're like why can't we just be civil which is like really rich because it's a lot of the same crew that like is there's like bad people on both sides or did not even is that they're like the people <laughs> that are like oh man political correctness is ruining everything but then it's like sure and like someone like once like someone that. calls you out and in, in like a pretty pointed way you're like oh no just be civil it's like so you just really want people to like be nice it's when like, it comes like what they I mean, say it's, to you. It's the childhood version of when you would, you know, offend someone. You'd say something like call someone stupid, and then they would get upset. And then rather than apologizing, you'd be like, "Oh, don't be so sensitive." Well, that's just your way of deflecting from taking any accountability from what you said and uh, realizing that what's wrong. I mean, if you want to have those terrible views, obviously, you know, the Constitution allows you to do that. But it doesn't grant you the freedom of consequences, to quote Jim McElwain, whereas if you choose to have those views that are hateful towards other people, you have to deal with you know, the consequences of how others speak out against you and stuff. Right, and they, and they call it like calling it out on political correctness, like being too politically correct if someone does that. But then like if someone does use like strong language to call them out, like they say, oh, no, you're being uncivil. It's like you can't really – they're trying to like have their cake and eat it too. And like it's just kind of funny that like – I think the true like if if they're decrying like a lack of civility, this movie is kind of funny because it's like no, Mister Rogers was like the perfect example of like being able to totally speak out in a civil way. You know, like this is that's yeah. a that's a much better example than like people today trying to like call out people that are calling out racism and calling them uncivil. It's like no, like there is a way to just be civil and decent and talk about complex subjects. And like Mister Rogers is how you do that. It's not like it's not just like putting a smile on your face while you try and find a fancy way of like defending family separation like that's not the kind of civility we actually need you know what i mean yeah um and i i don't know i just thought in a weird way it made the movie feel pretty timely for a biopic so the way i usually rank documentaries um 
in in ways like this is I guess their importance in a way. And this is very important if you're a history buff and you kind of care when the, I guess the way, I guess it's just regard for children came about because there was a time that many people forget back before the 1950s where children were kind of just seen as little adults. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't, you know, they thought that they had had all the same mental faculties already from birth. Um, And, Mr. Rogers was part of a group of mainly like, I guess, eight or nine formative child psychologists who led the movement, um, the push, I guess, really to tell people that, you know, this is what they're missing and this is what they grow with and and incorporate that into. Yeah, we we didn't even talk about the congressional hearings, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. And obviously that's a clip that's been, you know, going around on YouTube for sure. And we could we could talk in circles about this. But the reason I would say this documentary is great is because it captures you know, that's what documentaries are great about. It shows small stories and their impact on, you know, larger than life aspects. And this captures the point in time when people realized not only the power that television had, because that's a whole another aspect that we're missing. Um, this was during the time period where people were realizing that you know, television was also a teaching tool rather than just a medium to adapt stories and broadcast sports. It was a teaching tool. There were educational purposes for that. That combined with people realizing that children were growing and adapting and forming their mind and they needed formative experiences and could benefit from things like this. These two points in history met up with Mr. Rogers and were incredibly important to American society, not just American society, but the world as we know it. And that's why I think this documentary is is a necessity to watch because it is important to see, you know, that's saying you can't know where we're going if we don't know where we came from. And there are a lot of lessons about the quality of TV that are very relevant in today's society that I think we could talk a lot about, obviously. But, um, this was when people realized 50 years ago that what you put on TV mattered to kids and how it formed them. I feel like a lot of people have forgotten that. And, you know, I'm not going to get political, obviously, beyond saying that. But I think a lot of people have forgotten that. And it's important to look back so that we don't let the history history repeat itself. And we go back to just putting on mindless crap content that devalues <laughs> our society as a whole. Yeah, and I think it, just to just to finish up, I think it is like an interesting point just to, to have you harp on that just about the importance of making sure the children are pretty well educated because I think that like we are, I don't I don't know, I feel like it, it it's like just in the, like the last year it's become even more apparent that like how important children can be and just like even not just shaping the future but also the present where not to get political again but like you see with something like what what the parkland students did and not even just like them being out there and talking about gun control but like them like doing a whole entire like spending their entire summers before they go to college like going around the country registering people to vote it's like it is it can make a huge difference not just like 20 years down the line but like within five years if you like put your children on the right path and I think that's an interesting thing, but just to say in the context of this movie, because like I think like Mr. Rogers was at, knowing what little I know about it after watching this documentary, it seems like it was pretty important content to have kids consume. Definitely, definitely. Well, right. I really like this, and yeah, I, I, I'm. It's always a good 
time to get out of the grain of feature films and talk about some stuff that's actually important because you know that feature films obviously can be you know formative and educational, but documentaries are something that I think are necessary for everyone to see um, yes. on a lot of different subjects. And there are some fun ones out there, and these were two very fun documentaries to watch. And sometimes, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it, I like a good cry, and both of these – had me in my feelings. Yeah, and RBG is another good one too. And they're the three I've seen this year. I might be forgetting one or that. two I've seen. Yeah, you should see it. If I mean, like, it's been it's still playing in theaters down here because, like, in Boca Raton because it's like Boca Raton's just put a bunch of old Jewish people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So sure. I think people are more likely to start go seeing it. So that's why they're keeping it down here. But like, those are three that have come out this year that like, and I, I don't know about three identical strangers yet. It hasn't had that run, but like, I know RBG and Won't You Be My Neighbor like did especially good at the box office for documentaries, which I think is a good thing. It's cool like when these things get like actual real runs in theaters. And I, I guess last year the only I, the only thing, one I'm thinking off the top of my head that I saw in a theater was an inconvenient sequel, and um, that's probably not as fun to like go learn about our planet deteriorating, but like it's still like a good watch uh just far as like nothing that's not boring and i think like there's a lot less so in the last two years like there's been less of a stigma about the documentaries as being boring and they're becoming a little more popular to go see and it seems like you have a deeper history with them than me not that i don't watch them but like i i definitely feel like i'm getting a little bit more into it and it helps when like you can just go watch it in a theater um i i like i like that experience so uh yeah, I'm glad we did this because I, I mean, I talked about a couple of documentaries I think on podcasts before, but it's kind of funny to do, do like an all doc one specifically these two, which had some parallels. So I appreciate you suggesting this, Graham. Um, before we uh, get out of here um, and move on to recording another podcast on something that's totally different, uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Hey, you can just follow me at Twitter at Graham Hall underscore and read my stuff at GatorSports.com and. Josh, always a pleasure to be on, talk movies with you. You know, I love them just as much as you do. Maybe not as much as you do, but we're yeah, close dude. up there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you I appreciate you coming on. And uh, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I. And uh, stay tuned, and we got plenty of more movies coming out this summer, so keep listening, and we'll see you next time.